This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com. Uplit again, courageous listeners. Welcome then to Midnight Marinara. As the bell tolls, we set to work. And at this dark hour, we bring you something horribly delightful. Or delightfully horrible. I'm never quite sure which. Before we begin, my friends, we felt we should inform you that tonight's play is a little bit... unusual. It is not a play in the proper sense, but rather a narrative tale that we present to you. Now, some of you more astute and well-traveled listeners may be wondering, what makes Midnight Marinera any different in that sense from the other readers of creepypasta abounding in the gloomy and haunted parts of the internet? Well... Our story tonight calls for the presentation to be like this. And our staff of supernatural chefs feel it's good to spice up the menu with something a little different every few midnights. Have we piqued your curiosity? Then sit back, my friends, and let us tell you a tale of the eerie, the unusual, and the unknown. Narrator, you may begin. Jonathan sat trembling in the dark. He stared at nothing, his eyes not penetrating the circle of blackness that surrounded him. A single lamp illuminated the round table he sat at, allowing him enough light to see the edges of it and nothing more. A teapot and a half-emptied cup sat in the center. With a trembling hand, he reached toward it and took it toward his lips, not truly looking at it as he drank. He set the cup down on a plate. The cup rattled against it, the only sound save for the thunder that rumbled in the distance. He heard a switch flick. Jonathan shut his eyes for a moment, temporarily blinded by the harshness of the light that filled the room. He opened them again to see a small white kitchen. A single window and two doors broke the array of cabinets that covered the walls. Standing in an open door was Chris, Jonathan's friend and housemate. He had a hand on the light switch. John, what are you doing? It's after midnight. Chris asked. Jonathan kept staring forward and didn't reply. John, answer me. This is the third time I've caught you up like this. What are you doing? After a moment's pause, Jonathan replied, speaking in a dry, quiet voice. I had the dream again. He still stared, unblinking toward the window, though he didn't seem to notice what was behind it. Chris flinched. For months now, Jonathan had been experiencing the same recurring dream. In it, he stood outside his own life, looking in at it. He saw himself live his own life, going through the same daily routine and experiences over and over again. However, something about it all seemed unreal. All his actions were artificial. All his conversations seemed planned. A strange feeling that something wasn't quite right filled him, and it grew and it grew and it grew. 
Slowly, and so gradually, he barely noticed. His actions were replaced with words. Instead of seeing things happen, he read them in a massive wall of text that described his every movement. His conversations came in quotation marks, which he read instead of spoke. Soon, his entire life seemed to be a novel, running forward toward a conclusion that was always surrounded in haze. When he got to the end, he always awoke, but the feeling never left. Even sometimes when he was awake, he began to lose his feelings of normality. For brief moments, barely noticeable, he saw objects described in text rather than their own form, and his own movements seemed to be described by a nameless narrator. Chris sighed and walked forward. He rested a hand on Jonathan's shoulder and spoke in a reassuring voice. Listen, John, I know you're worried, but you just have to remember, it's just a dream. You've been very stressed late and starting to have nightmares. It happens, and it's nothing to worry about. Jonathan chuckled slightly. <laughs> oh, no. No, it isn't. <laughs> what do you mean? Look, John, get back to sleep. You're starting to worry me. For the first time that night, Jonathan stood and faced Chris. He was taller than Chris, and the shadowy cast obstructed Chris's face. Don't tell me you haven't had that feeling. That creeping, inching suspicion that something isn't right. Doesn't everything just seem too dramatic? Too convenient? This isn't how reality should be. This isn't how people should be speaking. It isn't how they act. Jonathan realized he was shouting and stopped. He breathed heavily and tried to calm down, resting his head in his hands. Chris looked at him with worried eyes. Alright, John. Here's what we're gonna do. Just just go back to sleep for now. Tomorrow, we're going to make an appointment with Dr. Limestone. She helped you with the dreams before, and... No! Jonathan said, shaking his head. No, I'm not going back to Dr. Limestone. She's not going to fix this, and she isn't going to solve the problem. She isn't part of it. I don't even think she's a character. John, what are you talking about? A, ca a, a character? In what? The book! Don't you get it yet? I don't know if it's a comedy, or a drama, or... We're all part of it. I don't think she is. That was the most horrifying part of his dreams. He felt as if hundreds of eyes were reading the text along with him, learning his every movement as if they were plot points in a story. He still had the feeling at that very moment that in a strange, twisted way, he was being watched. Or listened to. Chris stared at him, not knowing what to say. Jonathan stood up out of his chair and faced him, holding his hands in front of himself as if pleading for Chris to understand. The teacup fell from his hand, shattering on the ground. Look, isn't this all just too convenient? Does it ever feel that way? Listen to that thunder. Doesn't it seem like perfect writing? And everything's like that! The light when you entered? The teacup? By God, the way I'm standing! This isn't how things work. They don't come together to make themes. Weather shouldn't just suit my mood like this. Don't- do you not see it? Chris was taken aback. Well, John, that's all just ridiculous. Storms happen whether you're angry or not. The teacup was an accident, and we can get a new one. Now, what's all this about Dr. Limestone? What do you mean she isn't a character? Jonathan went back to holding his head in his hands. I know I'm not going to see the doctor because she hasn't been described. I have no idea what she looks like. What? If this were real life, then there would be hundreds of little insignificant things happening. I would know dozens of people and unimportant details, but this isn't real life, and anything that isn't part of this story won't be significant. I'm not going to see Dr. Limestone. 
Outside of this conversation, she doesn't exist. And we don't even know what she looks like. John, that's ridiculous. This is beside the point. Really? Describe her. Chris opened his mouth to respond, then stopped. He realized he truly had no idea. Well, uh, she was a psychiatrist. That helped me with the dreams before? Is that what you were going to say? Because that was established for this conversation. You have no idea what she looks like, do you? Chris paused. That was exactly what he was going to say. Down to referring to Jonathan in the third person, it did seem odd. Well, that doesn't mean anything. We've just forgotten, that's all. We haven't seen her in months. Anyway, it is important. What is important is that- Stop trying to rationalize what shouldn't be! There's no reason for us not to know what she looks like. It's just a fucking plot device. That's all it is. Even what you just did there, trying to change the topic to hide parts that haven't been fleshed out? This isn't how people act, Chris! Well, alright. But that still doesn't mean anything. It's just one person. Oh, really? Describe our neighbors to me. Describe your parents. Describe anyone who isn't related to this conversation, and I will believe you. Chris stared at him in shock, not knowing what to say. He searched his mind for anything. For his neighbor's face, for his parents' image, and found absolutely nothing. Over and over again, he tried and came up completely blank. Well? Oh god, I don't know. Maybe we're all just tired, Chris said. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Chris, or Christ, my want-to-be protector and savior who shines a light into my darkness. Nice imagery there, huh? Just like the storm? All right, then. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I don't know. It's not important. Exactly. It's not important. We don't know anything that isn't directly important. Why is that? Why the hell should that be? It's just too goddamn convenient. Look, if this is actually a house where we've been living, you should be able to answer me this question. What is behind that door? Jonathan pointed toward the closed door at the end of the kitchen. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Exactly. There is no reason for two people who have lived in a house for years to not know what is behind a single door. It just wasn't relevant when you turned on the lights, so it wasn't described. Alright, John. Alright. Say you are right, and we're just in a story. What then? Do we open the door? Ha! <laughs> I don't know. It's there for a reason now. We've drawn attention to it. Now there has to be something important. Oh god. So now you think by just talking about things we can influence the freaking universe? That's insane! Look, it's like the tea. I had the tea so that the rattling glass and the broken cup could represent my emotions. Now that we've drawn attention to that door, it must represent something. This is how it works, right? You turn on the light. Flooding light into my darkness, but I denied it and put you in my shadow. For a second he closed his eyes. He hadn't seen Chris hit the switch. But the words, he had a hand on the light switch, flooded his mind in black lettering. It's all foreshadowing! So when the kitchen had two doors, one open and one closed, there's something important behind the closed one. Chekhov's gun, right? You came in from one to help me sort this out in the first part. Part two occurs behind that door. Well, what then? Should we open it? I don't know. We don't know what's behind it. We don't even know what type of story this is. That's true. This could be a drama, an action, a comedy. Hey, that wouldn't be too bad. Perhaps this is all just a joke. Really? You want to live in a comedy? Do you realize people would be laughing at us 
Our every move? What if we were just two buffoons for people to mock? God, if we were just two cartoonish idiots, would we even have the intelligence to tell? I, uh, I hadn't thought of that. It is still better than a tragedy. I... I don't know. Look, we can work this out. It... it can't be an action. Neither of us know how to fight. We don't carry any weapons. Jonathan spoke, realizing he established it as a fact as he said it. I don't think it's a comedy, because we'd probably be able to remember funnier things happening. Then again, maybe we wouldn't as part of the plot. I don't know. Hopefully it's it's a drama, or a romance. Imagine if the entire thing was just to set us up with some perfect woman. Chris expressed, hopefully. Look, we should be able to tell what this is from our surroundings. The writing and descriptions should reflect what the plot is. We should see foreshadowing. Maybe we can pick it out. A slow realization began to dawn on Jonathan. Though he kept guessing, in his heart he was worried that he knew exactly what sort of story he was in. Alright. Well then, what can we learn from this kitchen? Chris quivered. Jonathan thought for a moment. Everything in this conversation, the things we talked about, they revolve around myself. I think it's safe to say that I'm the main character here. Alright. Chris stammered, nodding and following along. Then what has happened to you recently? I'm worried, Chris. With the thunder and the darkness and the nightmares and the falling cup, I don't think this is a happy story. Something bad's gonna happen, and it's gonna happen soon. As he spoke, thunder once again boomed on the horizon, and a flash of lightning filled the window with jagged light. Chris swallowed. Alright then. Do we open the door? Neither of us knows what's behind it. I think it's safe to say we weren't supposed to know. Somehow you've broken the mold. What do we do? Jonathan squeezed his eyes closed and gripped the back of his chair. He hadn't even realized he had stood behind it. His knuckles turned white. He finally spoke. If this is the sort of story I think it is, I don't think we have a choice. Either we go through the door and figure out what's behind it, or it's going to come and get us. If we're the main characters, then we should be safe. Usually, they survive. Usually? Not always? Usually. Chris looked at Jonathan, then toward the door. Alright then. We might as well get it over with. If I'm the sidekick here, I guess that's my job. I'm Christ anyway, right? I bring light into dark areas. I'm the sacrifice. Chris, don't joke about that. Look, I just... don't know. Don't worry. Like you said, we are safe, right? We're just the main characters. We never die in the first act. Maybe it was, we'll just all end up being a big joke anyway. Though he was still terrified, Jonathan slowly nodded. He couldn't help but think that, by breaking their own plotline, they would no longer be safe as the heroes in a story. He feared to voice a complaint, as by saying it, he knew he would make it a fact. He watched Chris walk forward and open the door carefully. The hinges squeaked as it opened, and a cloud of dust came into the kitchen. It was clear the door hadn't been open for quite a long time. Beyond the door was like an abyss. Pitch black. Nothing. Chris reached into a nearby drawer and took out a flashlight. He turned it on and shone it into the darkness beyond, revealing a narrow wooden staircase that descended between two stone walls. He walked slowly down the stairs. Jonathan came behind him and followed him into the unknown... 
Chris reached the end of the stairwell and paused. Dear God, John, this isn't a comedy. This is a horror. Jonathan followed his gaze to find his worst fears alive. The floor of the room was covered with fine black dirt. Scattered across it were dozens of broken bones and skeletons, along with ancient weapons. The walls were covered thick, with blood-red writing scrawled in dozens of languages. From long-past runes to modern letters and languages neither person could understand. Run, Chris! We shouldn't have come here! Jonathan cried as he sprinted up the stairs. The entire building began shaking. The low rumbling he had once thought was thunder became a continuous noise that seemed to come from every direction at once. He ran toward the kitchen but stopped in the doorway. The cabinets at the far end of the kitchen began to lose their form. They blurred and turned into written words, becoming replaced with descriptions of themselves. Large white cabinet with a silver handle. Small thin cabinet with a golden handle. Large Electric oven for stove tops. Silver handle. Large white cabinet. Small thin cabinet. Large white 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 cabinet. The letters began to slide down, mixing and forming incomprehensible gibberish before disappearing into an ever-growing sea of white. Jonathan realized that having found out the truth and broken his role, he had removed the very thing that held his plot together. By going outside his own story, he had destroyed his own fictional universe. Chris didn't stop when Jonathan did. He ran into Jonathan's back, and they both fell forward. Chris didn't seem to notice what was happening and crawled forward. No, don't go in there! It isn't real! Jonathan shouted. Chris screamed as he finally saw walls melt around him. He called and clawed back towards the stairwell, but was overcome by the descending wall of letters. His feet began to change slowly. His face contorted into a look of incomprehensible horror as he saw his legs dissolve into letters, then disappear. He kept crawling forward, but nothing he could do would change his fate now. Jonathan watched in horror as his friend dissolved into nothing but letters. The very universe he lived in was falling apart around him. He turned and began to run down the stairs again, referring the horror of the skeletons to the certain death that was the kitchen now. He stumbled at the bottom and collapsed onto the dirt floor, his head scraped along the ground, forming a long gouge over his right eye. The hot blood blinded him. With his good eye, he turned to see his fate. The oncoming wall of letters kept coming down the stairs, then stopped at the base. The letters molted together, filling in all the white spaces and forming a black wall. Jonathan felt it, and realized it became part of the same stone wall that now surrounded him. Using the dropped flashlight, he looked around. He was trapped in a square stone room no more than 20 feet across. Jonathan sat in the center of the room, not knowing what to do. Time seemed to slip away, and he had no knowledge of its passing. He had no idea if he was there for minutes, days, years, centuries. It all went by. He simply remained trapped alone in the darkness. Though he may have guessed he was there for days, the flashlight never dimmed, and his head never stopped bleeding. There was nothing for him to do, and he felt no reason to move. His thoughts turned to the room. He had no idea where he was, or how the poor souls who became skeletons that surrounded him found their way into that small black cell as well. 
Perhaps he would join them. Perhaps someone else would come to inhabit this small space and he would be gone forever. Perhaps it had already happened, and without a sense of time, he hadn't realized it. The thought sent a chill down his spine. He didn't know what was worse. An eternal life in a cage, or simply ceasing to exist with no sign that he ever was. He realized he needed to leave some kind of permanent mark, so that somehow, maybe one way or another, somebody might know he existed. He had to tell his story, after all. With all the time imaginable to spare, and no time at all to lose, he thought about what he had to do. As if compelled by some unseen force, he walked toward the wall, he dipped his hand in the blood that flowed down his face, and put it on the wall. He made lines which formed letters, then the letters formed words. Find the words formed a story. It began. Jonathan sat trembling in the dark. Our story concludes here, intrepid listeners. But for John, it might never really end. And who's to say what really happened? And who's to say we aren't all part of some great story? I'll leave that for you to dwell on while I begin looking for our next nefarious pasta. Expect a return to form in the next two weeks, though we do hope tonight's offering was satisfying. And until next we convene, pleasant dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight Marinara is a bi-monthly podcast written, produced, directed, and mixed by David King. This episode featured the voice talents of Matt Hawley, Ben Spiegel, and Sean Holt. The Writer's Inc. is an original short story written by Eric AMBM. You can read it at ericambm.deviantart.com or on creepypasta.com under the same name. Want to suggest a creepypasta for us to look at? Interested in contributing to the show? keen on pointing out how much these outros sound like Welcome to Night Vales? You're not the first. Regardless, you can leave a comment wherever you hear this, or you can email us at midnightmarinera at gmail.com. And while you're at it, curl up with a good book. A legitimate book, with a spine and cover and pages. It's good for you, trust me. Thanks for listening.